As I mentioned in the announcements, uh, we have a celebration for the graduates after this morning services. I do want to encourage you all to stay if you can. Um, we'll ask uh, Ron to include a, a prayer for the thankful for the uh, food and the prayer uh, afterwards, after the lesson this morning. But we'd also encourage you just to, to remain in your seats after the closing prayer uh, for a few minutes uh, so that we can have a presentation for the graduates. Um, so again, just please stay in your seats after the closing prayer for a few minutes for the words about the graduates. I want to take this opportunity uh, not to embarrass anybody, uh, but to be grateful and thankful for the graduates. I'm a little biased because one of the graduates happens to be a relative of mine, um, and I'm a little, you know, I'm a little, a little biased about about her. But um, that being said, uh, I can embarrass her because she's actually not here right now. So I'll take this. Um, she'll be back. Um, I do want to uh, to take a few minutes to to look at. Uh, at graduates, right? What does it mean to be a graduate? Um, most of us here, uh, that was sometime in the past. We won't say how long in the past, right? Uh, sometime in the past. Uh, for some of us here, it's uh, in the future still, something to look forward to. But I think there are some lessons that we can, uh, that we can gain, that we can learn, um, not only from those of us who have graduated, uh, looking back about lessons that we've learned, um, but also I think those of us who have already gone through that um, have something to learn from, from these uh, students who are meeting and passing this, this important milestone in their academic career. Um, so I want to take a few minutes today to, to think of lessons both that we as adults, those who have gone through uh, the graduation process before, can look back and we can learn from these graduates, um, as well as some lessons that the graduates can have, can learn from us. I think by listening and by communicating in, in, uh, both with each other, um, that we can learn from one another. Uh, we always have something new to learn. Um, no matter how old we are or how young we are, uh, there are always opportunities for learning from each other. And I'd like to take a few minutes today to look at how we can learn from each other um, at this important time in their lives. Uh, it's a time of transition. A graduation is not an end. Uh, a graduation is not the, the end of the road, right? It's a transition from one phase, from one uh, part of life to another. Uh, for those of us who have gone through it, we look back and we see how important that transition period was, how important that time was in our lives. Um, so it's a, it's a time to reflect. It's a time to look back and to consider where we've been. What have we been doing? Um, but it's also an important time to look, for, look ahead and to see what opportunities lie in front of us and what challenges lie in front of us. So let's take a few minutes to look at how some of the lessons that we can take from the graduates, from those who have gone through their academic careers and have gone to the point where they're transitioning or they're moving from one phase of life to another. They're moving on, they're, they're earning a diploma, they're earning a, a certificate that identifies their completions in the academic life. First and foremost, I think we have to admire their dedication. Um, these days, it's not easy to be a student. Uh, there's so many, uh, distractions, so many complexities. Um, I know it's, it's so cliche to say back when I was a student, but back when I was a student, I'm going to do it anyway, um, we didn't have the internet, right? So I can't imagine life without the internet now. How do you do your homework? How do you do anything um, in life? You know, how did life exist without the internet? It's, it's hard to, to look back, and students who have that now who grew up with it uh, really take it for granted. Um, but it doesn't do the work for you, right? Um, all of that information, all of those bits and, and pieces of data are just that. They're just information. How you take that, how you assimilate it, how you fuse it together, and how you use it 
um, is what we learn as students, as effective students uh, in our lives. And the same thing goes true for Christians. Um, the, the Bible is a collection of words uh, printed on a page, on paper. And, and as, as they, long as they stay on the paper, they're not powerful, they're not useful. But when we take them, we read them, we make them a part of our lives, that's when we infuse the power that God has given to us through his word in our lives and what we say and what we do. So we can learn from the students and the dedication that we've seen. Um, I know just a little, very little bit about what the academy um, puts their students through, right? Um, as a first year, you have to memorize what the meals are going to be for that week. I, I don't understand that, right? I'm sure there's a plan to it. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Um, but having to recite what the meal is going to be for the next week um, is such discipline. And, and it's, it's dedication to doing what needs to be done, to doing, following the directions that are given. Um, and I think that dedication, not only for the meals, right? That's the easy part. Um, but it's how we actually uh, use um, and how we act in our daily lives. What is our dedication to, to doing the best that we can with all of the challenges and the opportunities that we have, whatever they might be? Long nights, weekends, unplanned work, they always come up. Always when you think you have a grasp of something, there's something new that comes along um, and takes us away. So the dedication that the students have had through the last four years um, and beyond to, to meet those challenges, to meet those needs, I think we can, be, uh, we can learn a lot from them. But also, I think it's important in life, and the graduates have shown, that we have to have goals. We have to have something to look forward to, something to reach forward, to, to aspire to, and to dedicate our lives and our actions to meeting, to reaching. Um, over the last four years, the high school students have looked to complete that high school career, to complete and earn that certificate, um, that high school diploma. And the, the Naval Academy graduates have that milestone to look forward to, that we are going to graduate and we're going to have that, that BS or that BA from the Naval Academy and we're going to go on from there. And we now have a certificate to show um, that we've met that goal, that we've reached that goal. And it's important to have those goals. Ultimately, those are the short-term goals, right? It's hard to believe that four years is a short-term goal, right? But then span of life, for those of us who have been around 20 times that long, not me, but those of us who have been around 20 times that long, we can look back and we say, four years is nothing. It's a blink of an eye. But we look forward to saying, when we got into that 80-year mark, to look back and say, what have I accomplished? What are the goals that I have to look, look back on my life? And say, what have I reached? What milestones have I accomplished? And I think the second big lesson that we can take from the graduates is the future is wide open, right? The future is what we make of it. When we look back, we see that there are so many things that we've accomplished. But when we look ahead, we see that there's a gray cloud. There's a, a cloud of uncertainty. We look back on history and say, well, we know that this happened. We know that this happened. We know. It's clear. It's, it's cut and dry. It's objective truth. But when we look out in the future, we see uncertainty. But there are two sides to that uncertainty. There are the positives, things that can go wonderfully well in our lives. When I was going through college back in the dark ages, um, I met my wife. I never would have expected that I got married right out of college. If you had asked me as a freshman, would you get married as a senior right after you graduate as a senior? I would have said, you're crazy. You're nuts. And yet that future was there for me. And I, I look back on it, I'm grateful for it. But I never would have expected it at the beginning of my college career. Never would have expected it. But it's one of those blessings that we have to look forward to. On the flip side, there are negatives that come out of, of of coming to a transition period in our lives. that Some things that happen that we don't expect, and there are negatives that will happen. 
The question is, how are we going to face those uncertainties? How are we going to face those times of difficulties in the future? Those are lessons that we have to take from our graduates. And I'm confident that our graduates will meet those challenges and face those obstacles with strength and with dedication looking forward. But I think we also can look back on our lives and take lessons from them that they've met these challenges with dedication and with perseverance, with hard work over the last four years. And we're grateful for their example in doing that. On the flip side, there are a few lessons that we as somewhat older individuals might be able to impart on those who are graduating, some lessons that we can give as well. Your, your personal responsibilities and your professional responsibilities will continue to grow and to broaden over the span of your life. As I mentioned, looking over the last four years, for some of us seems to be such a blink of an eye, such a quick and short period. And yet, if you look back over the last four years of your life, how much has changed? As I mentioned, going in as a freshman in college, I never would have expected in four years to meet the, the, my mate for the rest of my life. Never would have expected it. When you look back over the last four years, what's changed in your life? As the graduates look back, considering going into high school as a freshman, going into the Naval Academy as a plebe, you were at the top of your game just the prior year. I'm an eighth grader, and all of the seventh and sixth graders have to look up to me and do what I tell them. You get a senior, I, I can tell them what to do. I'm the boss now. And the next year, it goes from the top of the hill to the very bottom. You're a plebe. You're doing what everybody else tells you to do. You don't have a choice. As a, as a freshman in college, you have no idea what to expect from classes. If I take an 8 a.m. class, is that going to be a problem for me? Can I skip class? Do I have to take this test? What's going to be on the test? Right? All these questions that we ask as freshmen, we learn over the next four years. We develop and we mature. We change so much in those four years. By the time you get out of the academy, by the time you graduate college, you're going to be a very different person. A very different person. You're going to mature and, and develop rapidly. And God willing, you'll be more mature and more self-confident in your decisions, in your actions, um, and in who you are and who, what you represent. But why? How do we get to the end of the four years? There's a certain maturation that comes naturally to most people. Um, and over four years, especially when you're that young, we look forward to that development. But I dare say that there are a lot of developments and a lot of the maturation that comes by who we are surrounded with, by who we choose to befriend, um, and how we face those obstacles in life, and how those obstacles reflect on us, and how they help us to develop. But I think one most important thing that we have to learn here is at the end of these four years, at the end of the period, we can look back and recognize that God has a plan for you. And looking forward, you can realize that same confidence that God has a plan for you. What is that plan? There are four examples that I'd like to use from, the, from scriptures, um, and we'll look at a few passages today to see how God's plan worked out in their lives. One note, one disclaimer. You may think you know what God's plan is for you. You may go into college thinking, I know what I'm going to study. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be an astronaut. You go in as a freshman, I'm going to be an astronaut. I went into college, I didn't know what I was going to be. I didn't really know. I was flexible. You know, and my life turned out very different than what I expected, which is fine. It was the plan that God had. He put me in places. He gave me experiences. And there were things that I experienced that I never would have thought I had experienced before. 
Be flexible. Listen to what God is telling you about the plan that he has for you. Let's think about the story about Jonah. What is the very first thing that happened in the book of Jonah? God says, I've got a charge for you. I've got something for you to do. What was Jonah's answer? That's not in my plan. That's not in my life goals. That's not in my agenda book. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to get on a boat, and I'm going to sail far away where God can't reach me. Well, that was a little mistake, and we know how that turned out for Jonah. Not very good. I'm not saying a whale is going to swallow any of us, but things will happen in your life, and God's plan will happen. Jeremiah thought he was too young. Jeremiah was was given a vision, a prophecy by God to say to people, you are not following what I want you to do. You need to listen. You need to correct your ways. Jeremiah's answer was um, in chapter 1 and verse 6 of, of Jeremiah, God, the word of the Lord came to him. And the word of the Lord in verse 5 says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have anointed you a prophet to the nations. God had a plan for Jeremiah. God knew who he wanted Jeremiah to be. So what was Jeremiah's answer? He didn't jump in a boat. He didn't try and run away for God. But he did make an excuse. Well, wait a second. Hold on. Verse 6. Then I said, alas, Lord. Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. I'm too young. I don't know what to say. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to pay attention to me. They're not going to do what I tell them to do. They're not going to believe that you have spoken to me. Jeremiah said, I'm not the one you need. You need somebody older. You need somebody who has experience. But that wasn't God's plan for Jeremiah. Well, let's turn back to Exodus in chapter 4. Jeremiah is not the only one who said, God, you don't have the right plan. It's not the plan that I want you to have for me. I need you to change your plan. I need you to find somebody else. Who else said that to God? Exodus chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Moses said, answering God's challenge to call to take the people, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what Jeremiah said. They're not going to pay attention to me. For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And then God said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. The Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand into your bosom. And so he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, Put your hand into your bosom again. And so he put his hand into his bosom again. And when he took it out of his bosom, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you or heed the witness of your first sign, that they may believe the witness of the last sign. But if they do not, will not believe even these two signs or heed what you say, then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water which you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither received nor 
Recently, nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who has made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. The Lord said, I have a plan for you, Moses. I have a plan for you, and you will go and do this. You will be my mouthpiece. Moses had excuses, reasons. You can't, I can't do it. I'm not, I'm not eloquent. I'm not a good speaker, right? God said, I will give you the words. I will be your, with your mouth. Moses said, I'm not the one you want. I, I need you to have a different plan, God. God said, no, you're the one. I know my plans for you. And this is what you're going to do. So we see how Jonah and Jeremiah and even Moses thought that they knew better than God what their plan for their life should be. We see that in times of difficulty, all of us get to points where we believe that there has to be a better way. There has to be another way. Even Christ himself got to that point. Now, he didn't go to his father and said, yeah, I'm not the one for you. He knew he was the one. He knew he was the only begotten son of his father. And yet, he went to his father and he said, if there's a way to let this cup pass from me, if there's any other way, Lord, that your plan can happen without me going to the cross, please, let's find that way. Please, let's change the plan. But God's answer to him was, no, this is the plan that I have for you, going to the cross and taking mankind's sin upon yourself. In Luke 22, 34, 39 through 44, we see that Christ prayed repeatedly to his father to let this cup pass. But his father didn't leave him alone. His father provided an angel to minister, minister to him in verse 43. An angel was there to care for him. And we see that ministering angel that came to the son also repeats the same ministering that God provided to his son after his temptation in the wilderness. After the devil left him, after tempting him three times, and after successfully answering the challenge of the devil, the father sent angels to minister to his son, for he knew that he was weak and needed his help. And even in the New Testament, we see that in the second Corinthian letter, chapter 12, that Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Chapter 12 of second Corinthians. Why would, why would God send a thorn in the flesh? Paul was given visions and was given information and knowledge that no one else had. And for many of us, we receive something that's special, that's unique to us. We think, wow, that makes me a little special. It makes me a little different. I'm, 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 I'm better. Paul said, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation in verse 7, of 2 Corinthians 12. The surpassing greatness of the revelations. For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, I will rather boast about my weaknesses 
so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. So we see that Christ himself, the power of Christ, dwells within Paul. And the message that God had for Paul was, you are the one that I've chosen for these revelations. And yet, do not be boastful. Do not exalt yourself because of the information, because of the knowledge, the revelations that I've given to you. And that's the reason that the born in the flesh was given. But Paul's response was, ultimately, it's not my power that makes me powerful. It's the power that God has given to me through his son. So another lesson that we have is ultimately, we are all responsible for our own results. And yet, in the challenges and the way that we meet those challenges, we don't have to go through it alone. As we have a family here in Annapolis, we all have brothers and sisters to lean on and to to help us through times of difficulty. Even when you feel that you're most alone and most vulnerable, your Heavenly Father will always be there for you. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, the Lord says to Jeremiah, Do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go, and all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Even halfway through the book, 25 years later, Jeremiah was still still struggling with his challenge that he had been given to bring the message to the Israelites. Warning the false prophets, God says to Jeremiah in chapter 23, verses 23 and 24, Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so that I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? As Jonah found out, there is nowhere we can go where we can escape God. Jeremiah learned that same lesson from God. God said, I fill the heavens and the earth. There is nowhere you can go where I can't be with you. Even Moses himself realized that he had to rely on God in order to meet the commands, the demands that God had made. God was with him the whole time. Even God gave him a sign of his presence, not only for Moses, but for all of the Israelites. In Exodus chapter 40 and verse 38, we read that throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire in it by night in the sight of all of the house of Israel. As proof that God was with them day and night, there was always a cloud and by day and a fire by night to prove God's presence. Christ himself even relied on his God's on his father's power to bring salvation through his sacrifice in hebrews chapter 12 verses 2 through 3 fixing our eyes on jesus who is the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is sat down on the right hand of the throne of god For consider him, that is, the Son of God, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Christ did that as an example for us, 
to remain constant and steady and always relying on his father to be there to support him. And even Paul realized in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that God's answer was sufficient for him. That Paul himself was content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. Not in and of themselves, not for their own sake, but those items, those insults, distresses, persecutions, and difficulties were for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because it's the power of the Father through his Son that has made Paul strong. So these challenges will come. We'll all face challenges in our lives. We'll all look back and we'll look, how did we respond to those challenges? Did we rely on our own strength and our own determination? Or did we look to the Father for guidance? And whether we're new graduates coming up on a new phase of our life, or whether we've been out of school for many years, we all can look back and say, how did I live my life? And we can all look forward and say, what will I need to do in the future to rely more on God's comforting hand? And the final lesson for the graduates that we, who are a little bit older, might have to say is enjoy your days because they make up your life. But meet your responsibilities head on. Recognize the influence that you have on those around you. A lot of times we may never recognize the full influence we have, but we are always influencing the people that are around us. And let's be an influence and example for good. In the letter to Timothy that Paul wrote, 1 Timothy 4.12. Paul wrote two letters to Timothy. And the letters to Timothy were to charge him, to encourage him, to strengthen him in his work for the gospel, in his preaching, in his time for teaching those around him. In 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul tells him, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourselves an example of those who believe. Who here among us, no matter what our age, shouldn't be able to say that? It's a charge for all of us to let our speech, how we, how we speak, what the words we use, not only the words themselves, but the purpose of the words and the intent of those words, our conduct, how we behave ourselves, how we answer the challenges of life, our love, how we look for each other and we look out for one another, how our faith and our dedication to doing what God would have us to do in all circumstances, and our purity, staying free from the world and from this spot of sin. How those items will show ourselves to be an example of those who believe. Are we examples of those who believe? Are we showing the love that God has shown to us through how we respond to difficulties in our life? How we look at those obstacles and how we look at the plan that God has for us. How do we answer him? What is our word back to him? But let's also keep focused on what's really important in our days. In the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, in chapter 2 and verses 11 through 13, we read, There will come times where we have challenges and opportunities, and how will we answer those challenges? Verses 11 through 13 of 2 Timothy 2 says, For if we died with him, 
we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. What is our response going to be? Will we die with Christ and dying with him knowing that we will again live? Will we endure the difficulties and hardships knowing that ultimately we will reign with Christ? Or will we deny him? Will we be faithless in the, in the face of danger? Will we be faithless in how we answer the challenges of life? Ultimately, we want to live our lives so that we can look back and be proud on how we met those challenges, how we reached those periods of transition from one stage of life to another, and how we answered the, the, the call that God has given to us. Toward the end of the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, he has a charge here that says, Paul's very personal and passionate in plea to Timothy. He says, the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. Whatever your spot in life, wherever you are, whether you're graduating or whether you're looking for other challenges in your life or whether you don't know what's ahead, remember that we are called to be faithful. We are called to endure. We are called to answer God's challenges to us, but not on our own, realizing that our strength isn't from ourselves. Our strength is from Christ working through us. That is how we are called to meet the challenges of our lives, whether we're graduating or whether we're well into our adult years. And look back, as Paul says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Let's live our life so that we can look back and say, I have fought the good fight and I have kept the faith. Whatever our part in life, we have those opportunities. We have a, a world of opportunities in front of us whether we're graduating or whether we're well in our adult years. The challenge is always there for us to reach those obstacles, to answer them, and to be there and always rely on God for the strength and the courage to meet those challenges and to be the example to those around us. Let's remember those opportunities that we have. We always want to make an opportunity for those who haven't put Christ on in baptism, who those, those of us who haven't recognized the the cleansing power of Christ's blood to wash away our sins. He's taken our sins upon himself and given us the opportunity to be clean and to walk in newness of life. That opportunity, that invitation is always extended for those who have not yet put Christ on in baptism. There's a challenge, there's a call for each one of us. God wants us to be saved, but he will not make us to be saved. That has to be our response to his call. And this is an opportunity to respond to that call, to put him on in baptism. If you have put him on in baptism but haven't walked as you should, if you need the prayers and the encouragement of your family here in the Annapolis congregation, this also is a time to make your needs known. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?